The EPL Show on the Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by MyBookie.ag. The MyBookie Turkey Day free play is back this Thanksgiving. That's right, up to a $250 free bet on the Texans versus the Lions, exclusively at MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new daily fantasy sports app built specifically for player props. Download the app in the App Store and use the promo code SGP for an instant deposit match up to $50. That's thrivefantasy.com, promo code SGP. Sign up and prop up today. And finally, we're also brought to you by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in paperhead providers and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free. Just head over to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. He was the man who almost single-handedly led his country to World Cup success in 1986. Diego Maradona might have been a flawed genius, but his was a truly exceptional talent. Both sides of his character, the brilliance and the controversial, displayed in that quarterfinal against England in Mexico. England fans will never forget or forgive the moment he used his fist to beat Peter Shilton for the game's first goal. The hand of God, Maradona later called it. But no one could argue with the skill that produced his second in that game, probably one of the best World Cup goals ever. The man I met just before that game had talked about his love of football and was more than happy to show off a boyish enthusiasm. But he'll be remembered for many things, good and bad. Football gave the young Maradona a route out of poverty. From Argentina, he moved to Barcelona and Napoli for world record fees. It was in Naples he's believed to have turned to drugs. For years, he later admitted, he played and played brilliantly despite a growing dependence. But in 1994, he was sent home from the World Cup in America after failing a drugs test. He would later manage the country where he was idolised, but the spectre of drugs and health scares was never far away. Peter Reid, being left trailing here in the Hand of God game, remembers him with respect. Yeah, well, he cheated in the game and he got away with it, but he was a genius. The, the, the man was... Um, I mean, if you go through some of the videos and some of his goals, he was, he was brilliant, and, uh, and you cannot take that away from him. Michael Owen today said, quite simply a player like no other. Rest in peace. Gary Lineker said, by some distance, the best player of my generation and arguably the greatest of all time. After a blessed but troubled life, hopefully he'll finally find some comfort in the hands of God. And from Pele, these words, certainly one day we'll kick a ball together in the sky above. Many believe Pele and Maradona were the best of all time. Maradona's last role in football was managing Hymnasia back in Argentina. He was taken ill after watching them play. After surgery for a bleed on the brain, he was thought to be recovering before cardiac arrest ended a remarkable life. Hey guys, you are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. Also check out my website, lockbetting.com. I don't want to go too heavy on the plugs because obviously... Um, the start of the show 
was dedicated to Diego Maradona, the greatest footballer of all time, in my opinion. And um, he passed away today. And obviously, we're doing this show here. And uh, I just want to run through and, uh, and and cover the games. Don't want to plug anything or do anything like that. Um, it's a sad day for, for football, obviously. I mean, it was difficult capping the Champions League today, watching the Champions League today. Uh, difficult to see the fact that he's died at 60. Difficult to almost get around the fact that he's not being celebrated properly because we're having empty stadiums at the moment where we should have full stadiums paying tribute to the greatest player of all time. I understand that there's Pele and George Best and Cruyff and Messi and Ronaldo now, but Diego Maradona was a player who won a World Cup by himself. Look at the players that he had around him. is very unlikely that you'll recognise any of the names from 86 and he carried that team to a World Cup with to a World Cup with goals and assists that year in 86 despite that goal against England four minutes later he ran through seven or eight players all the way from the halfway line and stuck the ball in the back of the net in what is called the greatest goal of the last century um he then went to Napoli and uh, carried a team who are in the bottom half of the table to two league titles in Serie A. That just doesn't happen. You just don't put a player in a team and he carries the entire team. Messi's got players around him. Ronaldo's got players around him, be it at Manchester United or, or Real Madrid or at Juve now. There's always players around everybody. There's no one-man teams and there's certainly not one-man teams that win World Cups and league titles and that's what Maradona did. So that's why for me... He's the greatest of all time. And that's why, obviously, I don't want to do plugs. Don't even really want to do the show. Don't even think there should be any football played this weekend. But we'll go ahead with it and we will do our EPL show here. And at the end of the show, we will do another tribute to Maradona. So listen to the end for that. I mean, you may be asking why we're we going all out here. It's just a guy that, that died and he, he was probably overdue it was amazing that he even lived till to 60 with the the habits that he had the illnesses he had the drug problems that he had but it it is a big deal just to just to speak about what a big deal it is I have my heroes tattooed on my arm Um, I have Hulk Hogan because I've watched wrestling for a long time Um, I have Mike Tyson Uh, I have um, Michael Jackson uh, who's also dead um, and I have uh, Diego Maradona on there as well these are all 80s influences but why would I go for Maradona as an English person when he scored a goal with his hand against us that knocked England out of the World Cup it's because he is the greatest of all time and it's he you're drawn to Maradona anyway despite the fact he did that uh, he just had a personality a charm a charisma an aura about him that no other player can have not Messi not Ronaldo not anybody that there was an aura about Maradona that just cannot be recreated. And that's almost the same for many people that come from that 80s era. There will never be another Michael Jackson. There won't even be another Mike Tyson. And the parallels to to Tyson and Maradona are, are tenfold. You can compare lots of parallels to them where they had falls from greatness, but are still revered. And that is the case for both. Yet one dies today and the other one returns to the boxing ring in two days' time. And um, that's quite an incredible parallel to to draw because both of them were at their peak at exactly the same time. If you look at 1986, um, when Maradona won the World Cup, and you look at that period between 86 and 1990, Tyson and Maradona were at the absolute pinnacle of their sporting careers. And it's almost a a weird irony to the fact that Maradona dies in the week that Tyson is returning to to box. And um, 
when you look at these 80s icons, when you look at the Michael Jackson and Mike Tyson, uh, Diego Maradona, it's just incomparable to, to anybody that comes along now. And that's not to put people off. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent and I want my son to have role models and heroes and things of that nature. And I would never shit on on anybody if he thinks that Marcus Rashford of Man United is the greatest thing ever, then let him think he's the greatest thing ever. I wouldn't turn around and go, he's he's nothing compared to Maradona or he's nothing compared to this person or that person or whatever. But the fact is, is that Tyson, Maradona, Michael Jackson, these people, when they're gone, it leaves a massive hole. And the hole of Maradona is... Is, is a massive one. As I said, he's a person that I chose to get tattooed on my arm. I have no other footballers on there. I have no Manchester United players on there. Just Diego Maradona as far as a representational football goes because he's the greatest player, in my opinion, to, to ever do it. And as I said, I reiterate, winning leagues for, for Napoli. And he didn't just win leagues for Napoli. He he got them into position to constantly challenge for leagues while he was there. This team went from nothing. Can you imagine putting a message... Like, the first game we're going to look at is Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. Can you imagine any player in the world that you put into the Newcastle team and Newcastle win two Premier Leagues and challenge for two others, finish runners-up in a couple of others over the course of the period that this player is there. It's just not going to happen. There is no player. There was no player. There never will be another player like that. So with that said, let's move on with the show. Let's look at this game here between Crystal Palace and Newcastle at Crystal Palace on Friday night, where Crystal Palace are the 6-5 favourites. It's 9-4 to draw, and it's 23-10 to 10 here on Newcastle. I think Newcastle have a chance of winning this game because Crystal Palace have a very bad record without Wilfred Zaha and Wilfred Zaha is still missing with with COVID. So he's not going to be in this game. I don't know how Palace score goals. They couldn't score any against Burnley. And if they can't score goals, this does give Newcastle an opportunity to win this game, especially here as a 23 to 10 underdog. Um, If you want to play it a little bit safer, I will take them here on the draw no bet market as a pick, which you can get at 13 to 10 I like that bet I like Newcastle to be able to go to Palace and win this game I think the days are gone where Newcastle had a particularly bad record in London and they couldn't get anything there they fared a lot better as of late and I think that will continue here with a surprise win on Friday night moving on to Saturday Liverpool go to Brighton off the back of a loss in the Champions League today against Atalanta they're the four to six favourites to win that game that has moved they were three to five now they're four to six which is weird because I haven't had problems in the Premier League. And that result you would think was an anomaly seeing as they haven't lost at home since 2017. But there has been a, a reaction to it in terms of this line movement. Brighton are available at 17-4 and it's 16-5 on the draw. You know my theory about Brighton. The fact is, is that they don't fare well against teams in the top six or in and around the top six, top half of the table. Um they try and play their, their football. They try to match play match teams blow for blow. Last week, it worked for them against Aston Villa. I loved Brighton in that spot and I hate Brighton in this spot. Or I love to fade Brighton in this spot because um, they cannot go toe-to-toe with this Liverpool team. Um, stylistically, if they try and play the usual Brighton way, and we always talk about this and they do, then they have no chance. If they sat back and tried to make themselves difficult to break down and implemented that kind of tactic, they'd have a far better chance. But Potts not going to do that. He's going to come into this and he's going to try and play a football match here against the Liverpool team coming off a loss. Um, 
their, their players are going to try and play out from the back. They're going to get pressed by Jota, Mane and Salah. And in the end, Liverpool are going to be able to have possession in the right areas of the pitch. And they're going to end up winning this game at Brighton on Saturday. So I'm going to take Liverpool to win this game here at 4-6. to six. Up next, we've got Man City versus Burnley, where Man City are the 1-6 favourites to win this game. It's 7-1 to one the draw and it's 16-1 to one on Burnley. I think I spoke about this before on the show. Manchester City have an incredible head-to-head record against Burnley. Burnley, I don't think anybody does worse against Manchester City than, than Burnley in, in over the course of the last um, the last ten to twelve games. I mean, I can pull up the um, the stats here. Manchester City have actually won ten of their last eleven games against Burnley. They've won six in a row. And over the course of the last three games, in fact, we'll use an even bigger sample size. We'll look at the last six games between the two sides. Manchester City have pumped this team for 23 goals across the last six games. That includes two 5-0 wins, a 1-0 win in Burnley, a 4-1 win in Burnley, a 5-0 win at Manchester City last season and a 3-0 win in the League Cup earlier on this season. Burnley... Just cannot contain this Manchester City team. Uh, Manchester City may be 1-7 to seven here to win the game, but you're actually getting some value here on the handicap lines because quite simply, Manchester City haven't been covering them as of late. And Manchester City minus 1.5 here on the Asian handicap line is available at 3-5 to five here, which is minus 160 in the US. I think there's some big value there. I don't see how Manchester City get away from this trade, no matter how badly they're playing. And they even played badly tonight in a 1-0 win against Olympiacos. I think that when they come up against Burnley, they will be able to cover this minus 1.5. I think this is a get-right game for them. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne didn't play today. He'll be back. I think Aguero's ready to come back as well. Uh, Raheem Sterling hasn't had a good season so far. So I'm expecting some players to to bounce back here and um, come up against a familiar foe who they're familiar with beating and do it again. Look, you don't need him to win 4-5-0 here. You just need him to win by a couple of goals. You just need him to win 2-0 here. I think they'll do better than that. But I don't think there's much risk involved here, especially with the way Burnley are playing this season. Burnley have never looked worse and in more danger of getting relegated. And although last week I picked Sheffield United, the team that are going to finish just outside that relegation zone, just outside of the zone which will contain Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United, in my opinion, will be Burnley because they are the fourth worst team in the league. But the fourth worst team in the league is enough to keep you in the Premier League. However, it's not enough to cover a minus 1.5 Asian handicap line against the Manchester City that not only need to win, but they need to look good. Otherwise, their chances of winning the Premier League this season are fading fast. So Man City minus one at three to five here will be the pick here for this one. Up next, we look at Everton versus Leeds United, where Everton are the even money favourites to win this game. It's 14 to 5 to draw, and it's 5 to 2 on Leeds. Took Everton as the lock last week at even money, so the lot record is back intact. Nice bounce back there for us. I don't like him here again at the same price. I do think they'll win this game, but I'm very worried about the way they defended in the second half. You defend that way against Leeds, Leeds are going to pulverise you. And although I don't think they will defend like that, and I do think that Everton are a better team than Leeds, and I do think they'll win this game, 
I just don't see this Everton team keeping clean sheets in the near future. At the same time, with all the talent they have on the pitch, the likes of Hamis Rodriguez, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, there's no way Leeds are going to stop this team from scoring either. So both teams to score here is available at the same price that we just took. At, um, Man City minus 1.5 in the last game, which is 3-5. to five. It's chalky, it's short, but I do like it. I don't see a scenario where Everton keep a clean sheet. But at the same time, I like Everton to win this game. So obviously, I don't see Leeds keeping a clean sheet either. So both teams to score here is the way that I want to go with this one in what will be probably um, the most exciting game of the weekend in terms of attacking football. Now, I understand that this is a weekend where you've got Chelsea versus Tottenham as well, but I do think that will be a more of a conservative game and we'll get to that when we cover it. Um, up next, we've got West Brom, Sheffield United, which will definitely be a conservative game. Um, West Brom are 8-5, to five, Sheffield United at 9-5 to five, and it's 11-5. to five the draw um Sheffield United may think that they can get their first win of the season here but in order to win games you need to score goals and West Brom are a little bit better at scoring goals than Sheffield United so I like them here as a pick but what I definitely 100% like in this game is for it to go under because I don't think any of these two teams are going to be able to score the two goals that you need to cash an over in this game. It's six to five on the over. It's four to six on the under. And for me, this is a red hot under, not just because these teams are struggling to score goals, but these teams will be looking as the, at this game already as an early season six pointer and they won't want to lose to the other. So we're going to see some very, very tight defending and probably two teams that only try and win this game late on, unless of course there's a goal. I mean, they, obviously teams are trying to win the game throughout the throughout the whole match they're obviously trying to create chances they're obviously trying to win set pieces free kicks etc but I think we're going to see a real push in the last 30 minutes where teams are willing to sacrifice um, and move out of their positions. We won't see such flat back lines where they'll commit more players forward in an attempt to try and win this game. But I think for the first um, 60 minutes of this game, you're under's pretty safe because Sheffield United don't want to lose to West Brom and West Brom don't want to lose to Sheffield United and Sheffield United haven't been able to score goals all season and West Brom aren't particularly great either, but just slightly better than Sheffield United. So they'll see this as more of a must-win game than Sheffield United, but at the same time, Sheffield United will be wanting to get out of this predicament as fast as possible, especially after the season they had last year. It will be a, a panicky situation at Sheffield United at the moment because they'll want to get out of it. But the thing is, is that I don't think that they will get out of it for the remainder of the season because I have both these teams going down with Fulham and uh, I don't think they score many goals on Saturday. So under 2.5 here at 4-6. to six. Moving on to Sunday's game, before we move on to Chelsea Tottenham, we have to look at Southampton versus Manchester United, which is an interesting game. Um, Southampton ahead of Man United in the table and having a better season. They're 11 4 to win this game, though. 13 5 the draw and even money on Man U. Um, I think that we should win this game. I don't think Southampton are a team that are going to sit in and make themselves difficult to break down. And when it's a open game like it was when we won away to, to Everton, for example, I do think that Manchester United will be able to take this Southampton team apart. Last week, it didn't necessarily affect them not having Danny Ings because Theo Walcott and Adams were able to combine to score a goal. But 
I think in order to win this game, you're going to need to score more than one goal here. And that's what Danny Ings does, as I said. When when teams aren't creating a plethora of chances, you need a player to be able to score the half chances that they do create. And Danny, Danny Ings is a much better goal scorer than either Che Adams or, or Theo Walcott. I've always actually rated Theo Walcott as a finisher and felt like his career never really got that chance to play down the middle. I mean, he was overrating him to say he was the next Thierry Henry, but he did deserve a full season down the middle. But with all the attacking plays that Arsenal had, Arsene Wenger never really gave it to him and the move to Everton never really worked out. I think he's happier here at Southampton. I think he'll do well. I think Shea Adam, Che Adams is underrated. I think this Southampton team are definitely contenders to finish in the top half. But at some point, they're going to drop down this league position. At some point, this table will have more normality and that will not mean Aston Villa sitting in 7th place, West Ham sitting in 8th place and Southampton sitting in 5th place. I think Manchester United have the opportunity to win this game and go one point behind Southampton and then they'll have a game in hand as well. And that'll be a more normal position for them because Man United have looked good at times and they have put together some good runs and then all of a sudden, you get that really, really poor result and those poor results have been consistent through the season 3-1 at the start of the season at home to Palace a 1-0 defeat at home to Arsenal but the home record of Man United has just been appalling this season but away from home they're very very good and they seem to play a lot better and they seem to have a lot more of a of a tactical game plan Solskjaer seems to be better at setting up on the road so I don't know what that is but I will ride the trend and I'll take Man United here at evens up next, the game of the week sees Chelsea hosting Tottenham, where Chelsea are the 6-5 favourites here. It's 13-5 the draw, and it's 12-5 on Spurs. Very, very interesting game, and I think this is going to be the most over game of the week in terms of the number of bets that we see on the over. I think everybody's going to be looking at over 2.5, both teams to score. Bets of that nature here, and um, I think the 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 punters will probably fancy Chelsea, given that Chelsea had a much better record against Spurs last season. Jose Mourinho just couldn't get that win over Frank Lampard, although earlier this season they did knock them out of the League Cup. Um, I think in this instance, I think Chelsea are the more balanced team. Tottenham do look very good, but being at Stamford Bridge, I lean towards Chelsea. Chelsea are the ones that are coming into this with a whole load of clean sheets. I've managed to keep six in the last eight. Tottenham are a little bit more inconsistent in defence, but I think that both teams are equal attacking. So if Chelsea are defending better and all both teams are equal attackingly, um, you have to give the edge here to, to Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea don't have a Harry Kane, but they do have a lot of players who I think are equivalent to Song in terms of Christian Pulisic you probably won't play in terms of Zayac who looks already like he's one of the best crosses in the Premier League they've also got Werner uh, they'll probably have Havertz back here although I'm not sure he'll actually play in the team so many options here for Chelsea and I think Jose Mourinho will be aware of that threat and I think this is going to be a very very Jose type of game just like last week when you looked at Spurs Man City we were guilty of it looking at the over looking at the way Mourinho sets up against big sides and Chelsea are a big side I'm not going to fall into that trap again I think the price here of 6-5 to five on under 2.5 goals has a lot of value. Seeing as Tottenham are going to be trying to win this game on the break and um, and Chelsea have a lot a lot of solid defenders now who have some pace in terms of when you're looking at a, a Reese James or a Ben Chilwell at wide and you're looking at centre-backs that are going to sit in and try and be organised, it's going to be difficult for Tottenham to hit these players on the counter-attack because Chelsea's full-backs aren't necessarily... Um, highly motivated to go forward because they really rely on their the wingers to do that for them. You're not seeing this uh, double up high press 
as you're seeing with Liverpool, where the fullbacks are pressing forward with the wingers and you have this line that you need to pass through from the back in terms of you need to beat the press by getting it past the, the wingers and getting it past the fullbacks. That's not really how Chelsea do things. In fact, they, they rely more on pressing from their, their wide players and, and, and the combination of their midfielders helping. And you see Mason, Mason Mount helping with the press and often if it's... Um, a situation where Chelsea are completely dominating the game. You'll see the likes of uh, Kovacic or Jorginho or Kante also joining in with the press and, and the defence at Chelsea is very flat. It's a it's a different kind of press to what you see at Liverpool where you do see them leaving two two men flat at the back and all the wide players press and then they use the um, defensive midfielders to plug in a hole, essentially giving them a flat back three temporarily while they press and they've often used Jordan Henderson in that role. Well, Frank Lampard used a different, implements a different a tactic for that so Tottenham are going to have it their own way and being able to catch this team on the break consistently because Frank Lampard has done well over the last eight games in terms of organising this defence and not leaving them susceptible to counters whilst pressing and controlling the ball possession as well in the game so I think this is going to be an under I think we see these two teams cancel each other out if you like it at um, under three you can take that here at four to five because that's obviously a safer bet because that pushes on three. And obviously everything can change. If there's an early goal in a game, if someone scores from long range, if someone scores from a corner, then that changes the whole philosophy of the game. But I think the philosophy coming in, Mourinho's setup will be similar to last week in terms of containing Chelsea, let them have the ball in certain areas, but making his own side difficult to break down and trying to win the game on the win this game on the break. But if there is an early goal, if one team is penetrated, then obviously this goes out the window and you're going to want the security of being able to push on the three. So that's almost a better selection and a safer way to go. I think it goes under two and a half goals. But I can understand why you would take the three. And it's at a good price still of four to five here, minus 125 for under three goals. Chelsea versus Tottenham this weekend's game of the week. The final game on Sunday sees Arsenal host Wolves, where Arsenal are available at 21 to 20. It's 23 to 10 to draw and it's 11 to four here on Wolves. <sighs> I have no idea what to do with this game. I mean, looking at Wolves' record for last season... They drew a lot of games. They ended up drawing 14 games last season. But there were two other teams that also drew 14 games last season. Brighton won 9, drew 14. And Arsenal won 14 and drew 14. In fact, there was only three points difference between Wolves and Arsenal last season. So these two teams are a lot more even than the odds at the start of the season suggested. I was very confused as to why Arsenal were fifth favourites to qualify for the Champions League ahead of Tottenham because I always felt like Tottenham were a better team than Arsenal and they had a better squad and that has been shown this season. Arsenal don't have a great squad and when a couple of players are off then it does tend to affect them. And at the moment, Aubameyang's not playing well. Arsenal also play European football this week. They play in the Europa League tomorrow. So that isn't going to benefit them in terms of playing in the Europa League and then having to play Wolves here on Sunday, whereas Wolves were the victims of that situation all of last season and they get to rest here, whereas Arsenal have to go away to Molde in Norway and um, then they have to play this game here against Wolves. Obviously, Arsenal aren't going to play a lot of the, the same players, but they are still going to have to make the trip. Therefore, any advantage that Wolves get gives them an advantage here over Arsenal and makes it more likely that they'll avoid a defeat. So I'm going to take Wolves here to avoid that defeat. 
Wolves to avoid a defeat here against Arsenal is available at 5-6 to six minus 120. And I think they'll be able to do that. I also like the price here on the draw at 23-10. to 10. You can get that as big as 5-2. to two. And I do think these two teams play out a draw as Arsenal continue to, to struggle to get wins in the Premier League on Sunday. Up next, we move on to Monday's games and we begin with Leicester versus Fulham, where Leicester are the 4-7 to favourites. It's 10-3 to to draw and it's 21-4 to here on Fulham. Why do I not just lock this up? Because Fulham are going to struggle to get an away win this season. I'm surprised that they've even got a win this season. They have looked a lot better in periods. Um, I'm not sure whether it's a case of Fulham just coming out and playing really well in the second half or Everton just not turning up for the second half. But at the end of the day, Fulham did get themselves back in the game in the second half. They won the second half 1-0 and they missed a penalty in that half as well where their struggles with penalty takers continue. Um... But I don't think they'll beat Leicester here. Leicester will get a nice rest after the Europa League game on Thursday. Um, they'll also not play a lot of their players, but they still get to rest till Monday. They've got too much quality in the side. They're coming off a loss against Liverpool. Look, let's not forget, going into that Liverpool game, Leicester and Liverpool were first and second in the league. So Leicester have had a decent start to the season so far. And uh, they're just a far better team than Fulham. And Leicester, even playing at 70% here, should be able to roll over this Fulham get, Fulham team at home. I don't think you need to look past anything but the money line here. Leicester to win this game at 4-7, to seven, I think, represents enough value for me already. Um, the last game we're going to look at here is West Ham versus Aston Villa, where West Ham are available 13 to 10. It's 13 to 5 to draw, and it's 19 to 10 here on Aston Villa. I like Aston Villa here to be able to avoid a defeat here against West Ham. Um, this is the type of game that suits Aston Villa, where West Ham are the home team. The onus will be on them to go and win the game, and Aston Villa may be able to pick them off and get one of their great results or was one of their great away results like they got against Arsenal but um, obviously the win against Liverpool was a game where Liverpool were in the ascendancy and West Ham uh, sorry Aston Villa were able to regularly catch Liverpool so this suits Aston Villa much like Man United um, I think Aston Villa are a team who like to sit back and play away from home and they have similar traits to Man United in terms of they have like a, a good playmaker in Grealish which is kind of like their Bruno Fernandes and they have good pace up top in terms of uh, Ollie Watkins kind of being like their um, Marcus Rashford. Obviously these aren't completely comparable positions but what I'm saying is they have the mixture of talent and pace in the upper end of the field and they have a decent defence that can, can keep you that can keep teams out once they are soaking up pressure and I think that is the category this game falls under although I'm not confident enough to take Villa to win this game I am confident enough to take them to avoid a defeat here in this game so Aston Villa here on the, the double chance would be my selection for this game and you can get that one at four to six here for this one closing out with the lock on the show I'm trying to steer away from giving out double locks because if I keep giving out my best plays here, it doesn't really incentivize people to sign up at lockbet.com, especially if the plays that I leave are my third and fourth strongest plays and they end up losing and then people are wondering why they're um, why they signed up. Thankfully, that hasn't been happening here. We've had our best month in soccer, although we did have a, a losing Saturday that I'm looking to recover from this Saturday because Saturdays and Sunday are the big day of the week. People love the weekend. People love to win money at the weekend and it almost gets swept under the rug when we win money 
in the week because people somehow just enjoy more winning at the weekend. So um, I am going to give you that that double lock, but I am going to refrain from doing it in the future. The reason I'm giving it to you is because one of them is real chalky. We're going to continue to ride the Manchester City trend against Burnley. It was very, very hard to resist when you look at the fact they've scored so many goals against this team, won six in a row as well. For them to only cover a minus 1.5 handicap, I think that um, it's too hard to pass up at the price of three to five. The other one I'm going to take here is at four to six, and that's Liverpool on the bounce back after the defeat here against um, against Atalanta at home. I think Liverpool will name a stronger team against Brighton than they did against Atalanta today. Um, they're resting some players who were who were injured or recovering from injury, or that they just didn't want to get injured, like Fabinho and Robertson. Fabinho and Robertson will play in the game at the weekend, which I think will make a massive difference to Liverpool's defence. But defence wasn't the problem; it was attack because they couldn't score against an Atalanta team who are pretty easy to score against. I think they'll get that right. I think, if anything, Brighton will even allow Liverpool even more space to get in behind the back line and people like Salah and Mane will have a good day. Plus, I expect Jota to return to this team as well. So, I think Liverpool are going to have plenty of attacking players on the pitch to be able to expose Brighton and score goals. And as I said, Brighton like to play football matches and we've had a lot of success over the past couple of years fading Brighton under Potter against teams in the top half of the table. And Liverpool and Man City are the, the best two Premier League teams well at least they were over the last few seasons they could get challenges though this season from from Chelsea and Tottenham and I think that game is just so important this weekend because the winner of that could emerge as a real contender for the title because I do think the team that finish above Liverpool this season will end up winning the league despite the fact that they've not got Van Dijk or, or Trent Alexander's out at the moment and Joe Gomez I still think they'll be able to overcome those issues because it's Liverpool's tactics and the way that the players are so used to it, it's just why they're a step ahead of people but once people start working out that high press and, and things and and some clubs have and people have had great success against Liverpool and Liverpool haven't had as much success as they had initially uh, Liverpool are going to struggle whereas I think what Chelsea do is a little bit harder to play against and also what Tottenham do so I do think that these teams are going to be in and around the, the top four and then it just makes it very difficult for a team like Manchester United to get in there if Chelsea and Tottenham are so consistent and you have to assume that Manchester City at least improve enough to get into the top four it does make it difficult to see Man United get in there. I just think it's going to be a fascinating season if any one of those five clubs miss out. But as far as Arsenal go, I think they're already a write-off. So fascinating season at the top. Not so fascinating at the bottom where I think um, Sheffield United, West Brom and um, and Fulham are already down. I almost took a lock against Fulham at Leicester and I almost took a lock on the under as well uh, for West Brom, Sheffield United because these are games where I cannot see anything but a Leicester win and I cannot see anything but an under in West Brom, Sheffield United. But to get all of my official plays, head over to lockbetting.com where you can also get the, the European show this weekend and um, you signed up for the, um, the additional podcasts with the Champions League and uh, the Europa League. You'd have already had an additional three Champions League locks because I did a double lock yesterday and I landed another lock today. So um, we now have a record of 10-1 for the Europa League and the Champions League for the locks. And that's over at lockbetting.com. But one thing I will say, I said I wasn't going to plug this today. I said I wasn't going to plug lockbetting.com because obviously the, the whole Maradona situation, I just wanted to run through and do the show as quickly as possible. I have to say this, I had some guy moaning at me today because he said that he signed up for a month and he'd been billed and he's going to get billed again on the first. When you sign up, 
you sign up for the rest of the month. Even if you sign up on November the 29th, you're only going to sign up for one day on Patreon. I'd never, ever have come on here and said one month package. I've never, ever come on here and said 30 days. In fact, I've always pushed harder and encouraged people to sign up at the start of the month. So I'm telling you now, do not sign up for lockbetting.com until the 1st of December. If you do, then realize you are only signing up for one or two days of bets. And that's absolutely fine. If you really feel confident that you're going to win this weekend on soccer, on the NFL, or on the Mike Tyson fight or whatever, then then sign up for just the two days and uh, and see if you can make that money back. But I would recommend waiting till the 1st of September. Speaking of the Mike Tyson fight, we spoke a little bit about Mike Tyson in, in terms of comparing him to Diego Maradona at the top of the show. I will be doing an edition of the fight show this week, looking at the fight between Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. And of course, that's Bundesliga show will be out at the end of the week. That's it for me in this edition of the EPL show. I'm going to leave you with another Diego Maradona tribute. May he rest in peace. Good luck with your bets as always. And thanks for listening, guys. Having spent the time that I did with him, um, he's so revered. He's worshipped in Argentina. He, he constantly had a huge entourage around him. Um, and I went to, a, to see a game, and I'll never forget it, see Boca Juniors play. And it was he had his own little box there, and I went with his family. And he's standing there. So, and the, the atmosphere was unbelievable at this game. And... His family, his, one of his daughters was literally holding him and he's he screaming over the balcony, holding him so he wouldn't actually fall off. I mean, he had such an incredible passion for the game. I mean, you said, Debbie, you played against him. What was it actually like to play against him? Like, what, the, the difficulties mm. that he, he, he gave you guys? It, I never thought in my lifetime that I would see anyone come remotely close to Diego in terms of ability with a football. I, I think we've seen Messi, who's, who's very similar in many ways. Obviously, Argentinian, uh, diminutive, brilliant left foot. But Diego was, was incredible. Um, I, played, I actually played with him as well for half a game, played for the rest of the world. And at Wembley against, funnily enough, for the English league side, because it was centenary, I played for the rest of the world because I was at Barcelona at the time. And all the players, there was people like Platini on the pitch, lots of great, great players from around the world. And everyone was totally in awe of him. First thing he did was in the dressing room, he sat there, just a pair of shorts. And you know, like you roll your socks up. He just stood up and he juggled them on his left foot. He just like that for about five minutes. And everyone was going, ooh. And then we went out on the pitch. And um, I think I'm, I don't think I'm tuned in. I think I can stand up um, and show you this. He did something that was incredible. One of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen on a football pitch. It might not sound that amazing to, to you at home. But you, you, I think you'll appreciate this. He juggled the ball all the way out to the centre circle. And then he got to the centre circle, still juggling it. And then he went, bang. And he whacked it as high as he possibly could. And he waited. And it came down, and he went bang, and he did it again. And he did it 13 times, and the most he ever did was walk three paces to it. And all of us were sitting there going, oh, oh my God, that's <laughs> like I was then. That's, it, that's impossible. It is. And I, I remember going to train the next, next day in Barcelona and stuff, and, and we all tried it. And the best anyone did was three, and they were running for the third one. And... I've just never seen anyone have just such a beautiful affection with a football. And you look at the pitches that they played on. Yeah. They were like mud baths half the time. They, they, they were allowed to tackle around your hip, yeah. hip high. The, the weight of the ball. That's what people don't 
realise is yeah. the fact that you could kick people. And he, in many ways, he was kicked out, of course, of the 1982 World Cup in Spain when he, he did retaliate and get a red card as well. But in 86, he was just he was just unplayable. I mean, I know you talk about the hand of God goal, and we could argue about that. But but the other goal he scored in that game. I mean, you've got to realise as well the pitch at the Azteca was awful. Mm. It was it had been kind of relayed just before, and you know, like you relay your garden with small pieces of turf. It was exactly like that, and every time you put your foot on one piece of turf, it just it, it kind of just disappeared under your foot. And to do what he did, that little pivot and turn on the halfway line, and then go past the players like they weren't there, uh, was was just a, a most remarkable thing. It's the closest in my life that I've ever felt like I ought to applaud someone else scoring a goal. Obviously, I didn't because <laughs> you get destroyed back home. But he was he was head and shoulders the best player of my generation. Mm. What were the tactics in that game, Gary? Was he, was he, were you man-to-man -man marking him? No, because we've never really played man-to-man -man marking. So what, what we actually did, and we, we talked, it was basically, as soon as he gets the ball, whoever's closest, you, you get to him. Um, the trouble with man-to-man -man marking, because he was so clever, once he beats one, then what happens? Yeah. And I, so it was, it was a difficult one, but uh, whatever we tried, it didn't work. It didn't <laughs> work. Okay, um, Diego Maradona, one of the greatest footballers of all time, who's died today, age 60. Away from here, can you share how you feel about the death of Diego Maradona? No, well, it's uh, first support from Sergio because you know his son is uh, Diego was uh, his grandfather, so it was a banner in Argentina. I think one time I read just ago where it said it doesn't matter what you have done with your life, it's matter what you have done with our lives. I think Maradona would have done in in our generation. You know there are. Few incredible players all in all history. He's one of them, and uh, the people for our generation, the World Cup '86 in Mexico, and, uh, and the other ones. Uh, it was something that made this sport better. Uh, I think on behalf of Manchester City for uh, all his family. Uh, yeah, a, a big hug. You and Diego have a joint connection in Barcelona. How did he influence you when you were a young player? When I was, no, when I arrived to the academy, he lived to Napoli. It was uh, was there before. Uh, yeah, it was a short time. I think uh, the impact uh, was not like was in, of course, in Argentina, of course, in 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 Boca Juniors or, or especially in Napoli. Uh, but what he has done in the world football is incredible, incredible. Did anyone, or has anyone, ever owned a pitch like he did? Well, for Argentina, Argentina people know. <laughs> but of course, I've been Pelé, I've been Johan Cruyff, I've been him. But him is one of the the best. For many people, will have been the best. For another one, is maybe Pelé, but is one of them. So uh, I think the influence in the sport football and how he lived his profession. Uh, I think. It's difficult to find a, a personal player like Love this game more than more than him in all sense. His commitment on the pitch and and with his mates has been what the people say outstanding and uh, yeah, it's a sad news for the world football, of course. Have a safe trip back. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I I had the honor to meet him once. Um, um, as a 53-year-old man, loving football as long as I can think, he is one of the greatest ever. 
was one of the greatest ever. Um, and I saw not so long ago the documentary, which was, which I think is exceptional, to be honest. And you could see um, there was Diego, which was an unbelievable football player. And there was Maradona, who struggled slightly with all the things around. Um, when you're a young person and the people go crazy when you wherever you go, that's not so easy. And he had his his fights with that 100%. But I will miss Diego and Maradona. So because he is just an, yeah, he was just a, what the footballer he was, unbelievable. Let's welcome to the show now someone who knew exactly what it was like to go head-to-head with Maradona at international level in a World Cup final. And obviously on domestic level as well, Jurgen Klinsmann at Inter Milan. When Diego Maradona was at his very best for Napoli, Jurgen, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Just your initial reaction. Well, very, very, very sad moment, I think, for the entire world of football. Um, Diego Armando Maradona was uh, was an absolute exception. It was uh, probably for two te- decades, you know, the late 80s, the, the 90s, the most most uh, amazing player on the planet. He was uh, uh, a genius. He was I, I called him always an artist. You know, there's 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 the, the, the great football player, and then there's maybe one artist. And Diego Armando Maradona was was an artist. He, what he did on the field. Uh, full of creativity, full of uh, unbelievable technique, uh, was just unheard of. And uh, I had the pleasure to play many times against him with club team, if it was Stuttgart UEFA Cup final, if it was Germany World Cup final, if it was uh, with Inter Milan, the, the games against Napoli. And you just simple, simply ad- admire this guy. And uh, to have him pass so early with just 60, 60 years of age is a very, very sad, uh, unfortunately, reality. You can just take us back to, to that time in Italy. Just how big was he? Well, he was on his own uh, uh, level. You know, there were great players, uh, obviously, in the late 80s, early 90s in Italy. Uh, Lothar Mateos was one of the best players in the world. Gullit, Van Basten, Rijkaard, Kareka, Alemao. Um, now, before us was maybe Platini. was 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 unbelievable great players, but he was an, another level. He was... Uh, just someone that, that uh, always made the difference and figured the things out on the field that nobody else could figure out. So you could man-mark him, you could mark him zonally, you had no, no idea how to mark him because he was just so gifted. And uh, um, so there was so much admiration for him and, and uh, outside the field he was just a, a simple, very, very um, normal person. You know, a lot of people thought, well, Maradona with all his... Uh, um, issues then with drugs and, and, and other things, you know, later on was a very complicated person. He was not. Uh, Diego was a very uh, down-to-earth, uh, uh, a very normal guy that just wanted to be with his friends, with his families. And uh, uh, what he has brought to Argentina, obviously, is uh, you will never forget that. And what he brought to his, especially to his Napoli, where he felt like he's a son of Naples. Um, the people will never forget that. So imagine today, um, you know how people mourn in, in Argentina and in Napoli, in Italy, and around the world. It's just uh, it's just a very sad moment. Uh, Jurgen, what was it like the reaction from the crowd when you were up against uh, Napoli and Maradona was on the ball? I imagine just that sense of expectation must have been palpable even as a player. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I heard the news. I uh, 
I, I was I was really shocked this morning and and I posted something on my Twitter side and I rarely actually post things but but I posted something that I always thought about uh, Diego uh, was his warm-up uh, uh, routine you know uh, depending on the music in the stadium he started to do his warm-up routine with juggling the ball around and that was made him I think it has seven million hits by now uh, life is life music that really is Diego Amanda Maradona he just wanted to be in rhythm with himself with with the music with the game and uh, when you watch him then doing his warm-up, you, you face him actually as an opponent and you kind of half, of, half lost the game already. <laughs> because uh, you, you, give him, you give him so much respect, you give him so much admiration um, because he was just such a fantastic football player that, uh, uh, yeah, and that, that kind of transferred to the, to the to fans in the stadium. You know, the, 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 even away games for him became home games because the people just wanted to see him, you know. Uh, if he played in Milan in front of 85,000, they were just kind of uh, standing up, giving him standing ovations, uh, even if he maybe lost a game or, or other games. So, so he was just, uh, it was just a standout, uh, unique uh, over almost 20 years. And uh, I always put him on the same level with Pelé and Franz Beckenbauer, these two maybe prior to Maradona. And then obviously there came the next generations with uh, a Messi and a Ronaldo. But, but Diego Maradona is in his own way was just simply uh, unique. Diego Maradona is one of the most iconic players in FIFA World Cup history, appearing in four tournaments between the ages of 21 and 33. Here, we focus on how the Mercurio Argentine lit up the 1986 FIFA World Cup on the way to lifting the trophy for his nation in a stats-performed data dive. During that tournament in Mexico, Maradona either scored or assisted 10 of Argentina's 14 goals on the way to being crowned world champions. Finished as second top goal scorer behind Gary Lineker, but led the assist rankings, creating the most goals for his teammates. He remains the only player since 1966 to have both scored and assisted as many as five goals in a single World Cup. In fact, Maradona is still the last player to have ten goal involvements of any sort in a single World Cup, and the only player to have achieved the feat since 1970. Maradona's importance to Argentina's side in 86 was obvious. He was involved in more than half of their shots, either making the final pass before or attempting 57 of their 101 shots himself. No player has beaten an opponent with more take-ons in a single World Cup than Maradona did in 1986. He successfully took the ball around an opponent 53 times in that tournament, averaging eight per game. Four of those successful take-ons in 86 came in just one single move, the build-up to his goal of the century against England in the quarter-finals. Maradona travelled 51 metres with the ball on the way to scoring his second goal of that game, and his first without using his hand. Only three World Cup goals since 1966 have seen a player travel further with the ball before scoring. He also proved that he was as equally adept with his hands as he was with his feet. Excluding the one he famously got away with against England, he gave away seven fouls for handball in World Cups, which is more than any other player. Some pretty punchy numbers. There's no doubt that Maradona's performances for Argentina in 1986 make up one of the most impressive individual World Cup campaigns of all time. And the data shines more light on just how special he was during that Albi Celeste's second title. 
It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer.